Hi, everyone, and once again, welcome to Grace Church. I'm so glad you could join us today. You know, we live at a time where we have a hard time discerning what's true and who is uh, trustworthy. Uh, just take, for example, we have the American elections going on this week. It's election week. And, you know, when you, when you hop on Facebook or various news feeds or just whatever, uh, people just seem to be having a hard time knowing what to trust and who to trust. But even outside the political realm, we see this in the scientific realm, the philosophical realm, people making various religious claims. We still have this struggle. People struggle to know what's true and, who know, and knowing who to trust. And, you know, this is not a new problem in our world. Uh, I read in the Gospels of a man by the name of Pilate. He was talking to Jesus before he was to be crucified. And he's trying to discern what was true and what was not. And they were having this back and forth conversation. And at one point in the conversation, Pilate just kind of retorts to Jesus. He says, what is truth? In other words, I don't know what's true. I have a hard time uh, discerning who's true and what is true. There's a, there's a really interesting story in the Old Testament where there's two women who are living in the, uh, the same house, and they happen to be prostitutes. They both got pregnant around the same time, and as a result, they both had kids. They both had babies at the same time. And so they were in separate rooms. They were nursing their kids, and unfortunately, one of the nights, one of the mothers rolled over on her child and, and killed her child. And so what she did was she took her child, and she went to the other mother while, while she was sleeping, the other mother while she was sleeping, and she exchanged the, the babies. And so she went back and took the living child with her. And when the other mother woke up, she noticed that her child was dead and she was devastated. But when she took a closer look, she realized that this child wasn't her own. And in fact, the other woman had traded babies with her. Well, what happened was both mothers were adamant that the living child was theirs. They couldn't get it resolved. So what did they do? They went before the wise King Solomon to resolve their case. And Solomon was in a very difficult situation. How was he to determine one word against the other? both were claiming that the living child was theirs. And so he gathered the facts, he asked a few more questions, and then he decided in his wisdom, he says, bring out a sword, we're going to cut this baby in half. And uh, that way each uh, woman can have half the child, and that will settle it. Uh, that seems to be a, you know, an extreme uh, decision, but that's the decision he, he uh, uh, proclaimed. And so the first woman, she speaks up and she says, no, my Lord, the king, please don't do that. I'd rather have the child live and be with uh, this, this other woman. And the second woman spoke up and said, you know what, king, that's a great idea. Let's cut the child in half. And, and then neither of us will be, will be able to have the child and the, the case will be settled. And the king then spoke up and said, you know what? The first woman is the mother. Give the child to her. Uh, an incredible act of wisdom on Solomon's part. But there's a principle we learn there in that story, and the story and the principle we learn is that oftentimes you can discern what is true and who is trustworthy based on what they're willing to sacrifice, uh, based on their loving sacrifice for someone else. And, you know, as I look at Jesus, we're going to look at some of the claims that Jesus made about himself, and we have to decide uh, whether he was a liar, whether he was a lunatic, or whether he was truly Lord. And I look at his life, and uh, I, I see that his life was just, he made all sorts of crazy, audacious, uh, extreme, some might say extreme, radical claims about himself. But at the same time, his life was, uh, was surrounded by miracles, and, and it, it ended with him dying and rising again for us. And his death was a loving sacrifice for us. If, so if we were to come back to this story I shared about with the two prostitutes and discerning uh, which, uh, which one was the true mother, 
uh, it was decided among, uh, through Solomon that the one who is willing to lovingly sacrifice uh, for their child was the one who was speaking the truth. And so when I look at Jesus and his claims, I see that Jesus lovingly, sacrificially laid down his life for us. And so I have to admit that I, I have to take his words and his claims seriously. And I've come to the point in my life where I've gotten to the point where I'm just going to believe anything he's going to say because of the incredible miracles and claims that he made, but also because he laid down his life for me. So what was Jesus to you? Was he, was he a liar, a lunatic, or was he Lord, uh, which is what he claimed to be? We're in a passage today in the book of John. And the passage that we're looking at is John chapter 8, verse 19 to 30. It's a very relatively small passage within the Gospel of John. And I've entitled my message, Faith or Fiction? Faith or Fiction? Jesus is going to make some very bold claims about himself. Do we respond to his claims with faith by putting our faith in him? Or do we chalk it up as fiction, as make-believe, as fairy tale, as fantasy? Um, what is it? What's, what's it going to be? Faith or Fiction? Now, of course, uh, uh, this passage is in the book of John, and it was written, this, not this, just this passage, but the book of John was written by, of course, John. And John wasn't some random dude that uh, came, uh, you know, in, in history 100 or 200 years after Jesus. No, just as a reminder, John was one of Jesus' disciples and arguably his closest one. His, his right-hand man, John said at the end of the gospel that, that I am the one, John, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. In other words, uh, he may have been saying, I was Jesus' favorite. Uh, I was his right-hand man. I was the closest person to him. And if he wasn't the closest, he was surely one of the closest of the disciples to uh, Jesus. So this meant John was with Jesus when he, when, he, when he rose people from the dead. He was with Jesus right beside him when he healed people. He was with Jesus was, when Jesus was going head to head with the religious leaders and having these, these theological discussions. And uh, Jesus was making these claims and he was with them. He heard what Jesus was saying. And afterwards, he was able to go to Jesus and ask him, Hey, Jesus, what did you really mean when you claimed this about yourself? He was right then and there. He was an eyewitness, uh, the, Jesus, arguably Jesus' closest disciple. And so we have to take uh, what he says about Jesus with, um, well, quite seriously, because he was close to Jesus and an eyewitness for Jesus. And, and John didn't write this, uh, the book of John just, just for fun. There was a purpose. There was a really important purpose why John wrote his gospel. And it was written so that we would believe, that we would put our faith in Jesus. Now, the Gospel of John, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And any passage you run into, I feel like you're walking into, like, it's, it's kind of like walking into a buffet. And then you walk into this buffet, you realize that there is a thousand buffets to choose from. Uh, John's Gospel um, is so deep, and you can spend forever uh, just uh, trying to understand and unravel the, the incredible truths that John is expressing through his his passage. And so we can stay in this passage forever, but we're going to try to take from it what we can here today. Again, John 8, verse 19 to 30. We'll start at verse 19, but just to give us some context here, this is written in a larger, within a larger passage where Jesus, in this area of John, he's, he's butting heads with the Jews, with the religious leaders. He's making some audacious claims about himself, and he's talking about his father. Now, they're confused. They think he's talking about his earthly father, um, but he's actually talking about his heavenly father. And so we're going to look at this passage starting at verse 19, and we're going to work primarily with two questions today. What did Jesus claim about himself? 
And what do we do with these claims? What does he claim about himself, and what do we do with these claims? I'm just going to start by reading the passage, and then we'll go back and, and go verse by verse with what Jesus claimed. So here we go, John 8, starting at verse 19. So again, there he's talking about his father. They think he's talking about his earthly father, but he's not. He's talking about the heavenly father. Verse 19, then they asked him, where is your father? He responds, he says, you do not know me or my father, God the father. He replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So that is an amazing passage. So let's come back to the first question. Uh, what did Jesus claim about himself? And basically, to sum it up, he claimed to be God. And he claimed to be God in a number of ways here. I'm just going to outline them for you here. First off, if you go back to verse 19, he, he, he said something special here. He said that, if you knew me, you would know my father also. And to put it in a different way, if you, if you don't know me, you don't know the father. And so to know God is, is to know me. We're, we're, we're one and, and, and we're, we're together. And that the father and I are, are one. Now, in order for us to, to have more clarity on this, I find it's very helpful to see other complementary passages um, that speak of the same thing to get, a, again, a better understanding as to what Jesus is really saying here and what John's trying to, trying to express. If we were to go to John chapter 1, verse 18, still in the, in the Gospel of John, John says this, John 1, 18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God. And his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So John is saying clearly here that Jesus is God. John 14, 9 and 10, where Jesus, he's talking to Philip and he answers. He says, he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, anyone who has seen me has seen God. How can you say you show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So John is very clear that the, that the, that the Son, Jesus, and the Father are one. They're one. And, and, he, and in saying that, he's saying that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is saying that he is God. 
And the rest of Scripture complements this as well. Paul says in Colossians 1.15, he says the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Another translation will say that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Absolutely amazing. So when you look at the face of Jesus, you are looking at God. Incredible, bold claim. Next, uh, Jesus says in verse 23, he says, another way that Jesus claims to be God, in verse 23, he says, I'm from above, you are from below. I am not of this world, you are of this world. And he also says in verse 29, he says, I always do what pleases God. Now, speaking for myself, um, I know that I don't always please God. I know there's been many times in my life where I have dropped the ball. I cannot say with confidence that I always do what pleases God. In fact, there's many times in my life where I haven't pleased God and I have to come to him in repentance. But for someone to say that I always please God, what you're essentially saying is that I'm, I'm sinless. So Jesus here is saying, I'm from above, I'm from heaven, and I am sinless. And I've been sent by God the Father to reconcile people back to himself. Incredible claim. Again, in a different way, he's claiming to be uh, God. He says in verse 24, this is another amazing thing that he says here that we might miss in some of our translations or just as a simple reading of this verse here. In verse 24, let me read it. Where am I here? Verse 24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. I'll come back to that. You will indeed die in your sins. So Jesus here, he says this uh, statement. He says, I am he. And some of your translations will be a little bit bolder in the way they translate that phrase, I am he, and uh, for good reason. You see, that phrase that Jesus is speaking to himself in this passage, that phrase can be found back in the book of Isaiah. And uh, in the book of Isaiah, there's multiple passages where God is speaking about himself He's talking about himself, and God is using that phrase, I am he. And Jesus is using this exact same phrase in the New Testament here in John's gospel as God is when he's speaking to the prophet Isaiah, when he's using this phrase, I am he. There's a bunch of verses we could turn to, but I'm just going to highlight two verses in the book of Isaiah. Both are found in Isaiah chapter 43. The first one is verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. And in verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. And so once again, Jesus is using the same language that God used of himself back in Isaiah. So again, he's claiming to be God. And in, in a similar way, in this verse, he's, he's also doing another amazing thing here. He's claiming something else that's absolutely amazing. He's claiming to also to forgive sins. Unless, you, unless he says, uh, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. In other words, if you believe in me, you won't die in your sins, which means I can forgive sin. There's another amazing passage in the book of Mark where Jesus, he's claiming to forgive sin and the religious leaders are furious because in their minds, he's committing blasphemy because they say he's, he's, he's committing blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. 
And so they would have understood that in saying this, he again was claiming to be God. And so they respond with agitation. In verse 25, they say, who are you, they asked. And that question is, is spoken in agitation because they realize he's claiming something uh, pretty audacious here and pretty bold. And so Jesus responds in verse 25. He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Well, what has been Jesus been saying so far in the book of John? What are some of the claims that he's been saying? Well, if you go back uh, in the book of John, you'll see that Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed to be from heaven, to do God's will. He, he claimed that if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, that you'll have eternal life. He claimed that if you drink from him, you would have streams of living water. He also claimed in the previous passage to be the light of the world. And actually, Josh preached on that the last time we were in the book of John. He did a wonderful job explaining what that all meant. But Jesus, he claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the Son of God sent from, by God the Father to bring people back into relationship with God. But he keeps going here. What else did he say? He said in verse 26, this really caught my attention. In verse 26, he's speaking to the religious leaders and he says, I have much to say in judgment of you. You might have a translation that says, I have much to condemn in you. Who speaks to the ruling uh, religious elite and says that kind of a statement towards them? I have much to say in judgment of you. I have much to condemn in you. The only person that, that has the ability and authority to judge or condemn people is God. And that's, again, what Jesus is saying here. He's claiming that. And so, in essence, what he's saying here, in, in, in saying that, he's saying that the ultimate sin uh, is, is, is unbelief or rejection of Jesus. And that's why he's condemning the religious leaders of his day. And what I find interesting, too, is that these guys were like the epitome of goodness and morality and religious observance. And he's saying that you guys are basically children of the devil going to hell because you don't believe in me. And so the ultimate sin, again, is unbelief and rejection of Jesus. Pretty bold, uh, audacious, you might say extreme claims that Jesus is making here, but he's making these claims. Well, what else happens in this passage? Uh, this last thing is not necessarily a claim, but more of a prediction. He closes this passage by predicting his, his death on the cross. And as a result, people will come to know that he is, he is Lord. And they would come to put their faith in him. He says in verse 28, uh, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, I am Lord, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And you know, Jesus' prediction of the future came true. You know, at the end of John, when Jesus was crucified, he had died, there were two very important characters that show up. And their names are Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they decided, because they put their faith in Jesus, that they, were going to, they wanted to bury the body of Jesus. And these guys were special because these guys were... Uh, Jewish religious leaders who had come to put their faith in Jesus. And I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder if these two guys, Joseph and Nicodemus, if they were among the crowd of relig Jewish religious leaders in this passage in John 8 who were, who were having this agitated conversation with Jesus. And I kind of wonder if these were the ones who were asking the questions or if these guys were kind of in the background 
and just observing the conversation that Jesus was having with the other religious leaders. Either way, it doesn't really matter, but the point is, is that these guys, these Jewish religious leaders, came to faith in Jesus. And at the end of this passage, before people even came to uh, see his death and resurrection, it says here in verse 30 that many believed in him. Many people put their faith in him. Okay, so what do we do with these claims? Jesus is making a lot of claims in this passage and really in the entire Gospel of John, if you read the whole thing. There's a lot of claims that Jesus makes about himself. But what do we do with these claims? Is it going to be faith or fiction? Again, are, are, are these claims going to cause you to put your faith in Jesus? Or do you just chalk it up as fiction, as fairy tale, as fantasy? What is it? Well, for those of us who want to respond to faith, I think you have good reason to do so. But I, I want to challenge four different types of, of people today. And you might identify with one of these people. And the first person... The first type of person I want to identify, or challenge at least, is what I'm calling the religious tolerant person. And I might not be using the right word to explain myself here, but I think you'll understand what I mean when I explain this. What I'm referring to when I talk about the religious tolerant person, you're the kind of person who believes in one way or another that all religions um, end up uh, you know, going to God, uh, that all religions are equal, that uh, all religious... Uh, leaders are equal, and Jesus is kind of on the same um, level as every other religious leader that ever lived, or at least he's one of many special religious leaders. And maybe you believe what Jesus said about himself, but you kind of, you, you, you just kind of see Jesus as one among many equals. And I want to talk about the good about that before I talk about the bad. Uh, the good in a person like that is that you're likely a person who tries to be very respectful and loving towards people of different faiths. And I think we can make a biblical case that we have to be loving and respectful of others no matter what they believe. However, um, there is a big, fat, hairy problem if you consider yourself as a religious, tolerant person the way I'm describing it. The big problem is that when you read the book of John, listen, you can believe whatever it is you want to believe about Jesus, but you cannot walk, it is impossible to walk away from John and to believe that John thought that Jesus was anything less than the one true God of the universe. John was, was not a, what, what I'm calling a religiously tolerant person. He was not politically correct in the way that he described Jesus. John believed with all of his heart that there was absolutely no one in the universe in all of history that compared to Jesus. John believed that Jesus was God, that he was perfect, that he was sinless, that he was that he was from heaven, that he existed eternally, that Jesus is the one whom creation was made. In other words, Jesus created all that there was. Uh, he believed that in order for you to get to God, the only way, the only way to get to God was through Jesus. He believed that there was no equal among Jesus. There, there was no one that compared to, to Jesus. And, and again, that he was the only one that could forgive us our sins. He was the only hope of life. He was the only source of our sustenance. And, and, and life. If you want true, eternal, lasting life, you have to go to Jesus and absolutely no one else, nothing else satisfies. I think you get what I'm trying to say here. That's what John believed and he believed it with all of his heart. And he believed that's what Jesus believed of himself as well. And to know, uh, 
as we consider these things, again, we come back to the, where I started today. People struggle to know what's really true or to know who to trust. You got to remember that Jesus, he gave his life for you. And when he was uh, uh, tempted, when people wanted to make him king, he ran away from that. He was basically homeless. So he didn't have any special fame that he experienced on earth other than, you know, crowds following him. But he didn't experience, you know, becoming king. He didn't get rich. He was basically homeless. He, he suffered. He died for you and he did it out of love. And that makes me want to put my belief in him. John himself, the writer of this gospel, he put his faith in Jesus and out of love for God, he he lived out his faith, he associated himself with Jesus, and he suffered as well out of love for us. And so for me, I look at Jesus, I look at John, the, the writer of this gospels, and I think to myself, man, if these guys are willing to, to if, particularly Jesus, if he was willing to lay down his life for me, I have got to listen to what he says. And he says that he was unlike any other religious person ever lived, and so I have to put my faith in him. And so if you are a religious, uh, what I call here a religious tolerant person in that sense, you need to come to repentance because you and I are not following the same Jesus. Uh, if you think that Jesus is on the same level as anyone else, you, um, you are deceived and you've given into a lie and you are not following the Jesus of scripture because that is not the Jesus that I know. He is unlike any other person that ever lived. Put your faith in the one true Jesus, the only way to God the Father. The second person I want to challenge is uh, what I'm calling here is the person who is trusting in their own goodness or their own morality to get to God. There are people in our churches, there are people in our world who think that they are a good person and because they're a good person, when they, when they die and they stand before God, that God's going to let them into heaven because they're such a good person. And so they think that, hey, God's going to look at you and say, hey, Bobby, hey, Bill, hey, Susie, hey, Sam, uh, come on into heaven. You are just such a good person. Uh, I've been looking forward to having you come in here and, uh, and uh, come on in. Uh, if that's you, you need to know that you are absolutely out to lunch. That uh, is absolute lunacy to believe that. You see, in this passage, Jesus, he is uh, passing judgment and condemnation on the the Pharisees, the religious leader of their day, man, these guys were the example and the epitome of goodness and morality and religious observance. And if there was someone that was close to being perfect, it was the Pharisees. And he says, you guys are going straight to hell because you don't believe in me. You guys are children of the devil. That's some crazy stuff. And so Jesus actually says in another passage, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying there is that the actual standard for you to get into heaven, for you to be accepted by God, the standard is that you have to be as good as God. You have to be as moral and as good and as perfect as God. Otherwise, you are not getting in. You are not acceptable before God unless you are perfect. And so uh, for those of us who are trusting in our own goodness and morality to get into heaven, to be accepted by God, you are deceived. It is not the way. And so... Um, uh, and so we, we need to realize that it's, that it's not our goodness that, that saves us, but it's our faith in Jesus. So let me illustrate it this way. Uh, you, you might, it might be illustrated by, by a cup of water in a glass, you know, and, and that water might represent our goodness. But if you just put one drop of poison in that glass of water representing sin, uh, it really just taints the whole batch. 
But the reality is that the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And we haven't just sinned one time in our life. We've sinned multiple times. And we need to have that sin dealt with in our life in order to be acceptable before God. And so the one who gives us that perfect, um, that perfect uh, standard, that, that perfect reputation, that clean and pure slight is Jesus, the one who, who frees us and forgives us of our sins. And so it's not our goodness at the end of the day that's going to save us, but our faith in Jesus. And so if that's you, you need to repent of, of trusting in your own goodness and put your faith in Jesus. The third person I want to challenge today is the lukewarm or indifferent person. You might believe at one level what Jesus says about himself in this passage, but at the end of the day, you couldn't care less. You're indifferent. You're lukewarm. And, um, and that's a problem. And so what do, we, what, what, what do I have to say to that kind of a person? Well, that kind of a person is the kind of person who in different social uh, settings might just follow the crowd. And so if you are at church, you might put on the church lingo, you might put on the Jesus lingo, because in that situation, it might give you an advantage. Well, in another, another circumstance, another social setting, uh, among people who maybe are not interested in following Jesus, you might hide your association with Jesus for fear of maybe persecution or suffering in some realm. And so you just stay indifferent and lukewarm, and you don't really, you don't really make it known what your decision is. And you need to know what Jesus said on the matter. Another passage, Jesus said, he said, those who, acknowledge me, those who acknowledge me here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But he also said this, he said, those who disown me here on earth, I will disown before my Father in heaven. In other words, make up your mind. Are you in or are you out? There's another passage in scripture where, you, where I sense that God is speaking of frustration with those who are lukewarm. He says, he says, I want you to be in or out. I want you to be hot or cold. I can't stand this, this indifferent lukewarmness, this apathy. If you don't make a decision for me, I'm going to make it for you and I'm going to spit you out. Uh, indifference uh, doesn't work. Let me ask you this. Let me say it in a different way. You know, if, if, if there was a gun that was pointed at you right now, and uh, would you be willing to take a bullet for your faith in Jesus, for your association with Jesus? Now, speaking for myself, if I was in that situation where someone had a gun pointed at my head and they were inquiring whether I believed in Jesus or not, and I knew that was a difference, it meant the difference between life or, or death, speaking for myself, first of all, I would use every ounce of wisdom I could to try to get myself out of that situation because I don't want to die and I don't want to leave my family. But... If I was pressed, I would certainly say, yes, I believe in Jesus with my whole heart. Go ahead and pull the trigger. I come to that place where I'm pretty confident I would do that. But what would you do? Are, are you willing to take a bullet for your faith and your association with Jesus? And if you are willing to die for him, are you willing to suffer for him and be persecuted uh, for him? Um, and if you're willing to suffer or be persecuted with him, are you willing to associate with associate yourself with him. So let me ask you, are you in, are you out? Are you hot or are you cold? God wants you to make a decision. In fact, to not make a decision is to make a decision against him. So I want to challenge you to, to make up your mind whether you're in or you're out in your relationship with Jesus. God will, says he will spit you out if you are lukewarm. 
The fourth person I want to challenge is the person who grew up in the church and thinks they're safe. They think they're fine because simply they grew up in church. And uh, you might be a person who's been around for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years in the church. And maybe you've, you've faithfully attended and you've faithfully gotten involved. And you think you're on good side because of simply your attendance and your involvement in the church. And you need to know if you're putting your faith in your, your church attendance and your history, you are, you are out to lunch as well. Uh, Jesus, it's interesting in this passage, Jesus, again, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's talking to the Jewish religious leaders here. These people were direct physical descendants of Abraham, the patriarch. And they were descendants of, of course, Israel. They were Israel and the God's chosen people. And so they, they were trusting in their lineage and their heritage and the fact that they were God's people and so on and their goodness and immorality. And Jesus, again, he called them children of the devil going to hell because they haven't put their faith in Jesus. And uh, they, they were trusting in something else other than Jesus. They were trusting in their lineage and their history. And so in a similar way, uh, Christians can't be trusting in their faithful church attendance to save them. Your church attendance, your church affiliation, your church background, your, your upbringing will not save you. The only thing that will save you is faith in Jesus. And so in a sense, sometimes Christians, even Christians, need to be converted to follow Jesus and not their own goodness or faith tradition. The only thing that saves is Jesus. And so I think I've already said it a number of times, but I want to say it again just in case. The solution to all of these people that I've referenced here types of people, and maybe you identify with one, is to, is to respond with repentance. Uh, the, the, the religiously tolerant person needs to respond with repentance for putting Jesus in the same level as any other religious leader that lived. That is offensive to Christ, and it's not, that, has, that has nothing to do with the Jesus that I know. And, and you, you devalue the supremacy of Christ when you do that. Repent. Repent and put your, your faith in Jesus and the only one that can save you. For those, for those of us who are putting your faith in your own goodness or your own morality, it's not going to cut it. You, have, you do not have a chance to be at the same level and perfection as God. Repent for trusting in your own goodness and morality and put your faith in Jesus as the only one who can forgive you of your sin. For the indifferent person, the apathetic person, the lukewarm person, God has no time for that. God commands you today to make up your mind. Are you in? Are you out? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you for me? Or are you against me? Come to him in repentance and say once and for all that you want to passionately follow him with all of your heart and hold nothing back. And of course, we do that with God's help. And lastly, again, the person who grew up, grew up in church and thinks they're safe, you are not safe because of your, your upbringing or your involvement or, or all the wonderful things you've done for God. That will not save you. Nothing will save you other than your faith in Jesus. Repent, repent, and come to him. Put your faith in him. So, what are you going to do with all this stuff? Do you are going to respond to faith? Uh, are you going to respond to Jesus with faith? Or, again, do you just chalk up all these claims as fiction, as make-believe and fairy tales? It's up to you. You can decide. In a moment, I want to uh, lead you in a word of prayer if you come to the decision today where you want to put your faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe for the first time, or maybe there's someone out there who needs to rededicate their life to the Lord. That's cool, too. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment, and I'm not going to prolong this. I'm not going to coerce you or try to manipulate you. If, if you're not ready to make this prayer right now, you can come back later and watch this video and maybe pray this prayer at another time. 
But for those of us who just feel in the spirit that, you know what, it's time to make this decision to follow Jesus or it's time to rededicate my, my life to the Lord, I want you to follow me in a word of prayer. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and you can repeat this prayer after me, okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I come before you today. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I'm not perfect. And I'm so sorry. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, for your love. I believe that you rose again from the grave three days later. Lord, I want to commit my entire life to you, my entire being to you. I want to live a life that pleases you. Holy Spirit, please come and dwell within me and help me to live a life that pleases you. Amen. Now let me just pray for you right now. Lord, I, I, I thank you and I praise you for those who might be making that decision in this moment. I pray for others who might be making that decision at maybe some other point in time. But I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would just would fill those people who have prayed that prayer and have made that commitment to you and that you would protect them with your angels, that you would help the, their roots grow down deep in you, that you would protect them from any doubts or any attacks from the enemy. And I pray that their lives will be filled with fruit and that they would passionately follow you with all of their hearts. We pray that you would dispel any lies from the enemy and, um, and that you would just, just help us keep us focused on living for you. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. And for those of us who want to maybe perhaps a reading challenge, for those of us who are maybe still working through what they think about Jesus, I want to challenge you to go back in the book of John and read through the first eight chapters of John as, uh, as just, just a reminder of all the wonderful things that Jesus said about himself and all the wonderful things that he did. And that also helped catch us up with where we've come so far in the book of John uh, through this year. So God bless you. Thank you so much for watching.